This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Comments from Attorney General William Barr seem to have had no effect on President Trump's tweeting about the case of his longtime friend Roger Stone. And Trump's tweeting seems to have had no effect on the federal judge who will be sentencing Stone. Judge Amy Berman Jackson rejected Stone's request for a delay in sentencing so the court can consider his second motion for a new trial. Stone will be sentenced for lying to Congress and witness tampering on Thursday as scheduled. President Trump is now calling for the Stone case to be thrown out and continues to make comments about two of the highest profile prosecutions during his administration. I think Roger Stone's been treated unfairly. I think General Flynn has been treated very unfairly. I think a lot of people have been treated very unfairly. My guest is former federal prosecutor Jeffrey Kramer, managing director of the Berkeley Research Group. Federal Judge Amy Berman Jackson said there's been a lot of work that's gone into the sentencing. It makes sense to proceed on Thursday. Does that give you any indication that she's not going to be swayed by any of the commentary? Yeah, I think that's safe. You know, she could have, I mean, it's a distraction. She could have really called the AG in on the carpet and DOJ because they went from seven to nine years basically to saying, judge, do whatever you like. We've got no position. Just a huge sea change. And, you know, she could have really called them in as an equal branch of government, but is basically going to ignore that and is just going to sentence the defendant probably as she was going to do before, because it's only a recommendation by the government. So, Jeff, last week, the judge rejected Stone's request for a new trial based on bias of one of the jurors who work for the IRS. But Stone's lawyers have submitted another request for a new trial based on bias of the jury foreperson. How does a judge determine whether there is bias? Well, you mean, you can look at biases to a person's actions, and some of that the defense lawyers knew. I mean, they knew this four-person, and she's come out, ran uh, for Congress as a, as a Democrat, and maybe said some anti-Trump things. So they did know some of that. If there were other things out there that they didn't know, but that the four-person misled them or lied on the questionnaire or her answers, that's a valid uh, argument to make to, uh, to get a new trial. It's still a long shot, but it, if that's the case, then there is an argument there. There were some specific questions, you know, related to Trump bias or Stone bias. If the judge found she lied on those, does that automatically give him a new trial or are there other considerations? It's not automatic. It really is up to the judge's discretion. And even if the district court judge denies it, you now have a pretty good appellate argument because there's nothing more basic in a jury trial than to make sure the jury can be fair and impartial. And if a juror, again, we're just using a hypothetical here, but if a juror lied in order to get on that jury and the lie pertained to a bias against someone related to the defendant, in other words, it wasn't a bias against Stone. That's important to keep in mind. It's a bias against Trump. Now, Stone has a connection to Trump, so who knows if that would be transferable. So it's definitely not a slam dunk argument. A slam dunk argument would be if this person had a bias against the actual defendant and then lied about it. That's not the case here. But obviously, as we know, the connection between Trump and Stone is very tight. So, you know, it's a district court argument. If it's denied, it's certainly an appellate court argument, and it can keep him out of jail during the pendency of that appeal. The lawyers in this case not only could have challenged her for bias, but also if they didn't like the fact that she had run as a Democrat for something, they could have knocked her off the jury with a peremptory. 
Yeah, correct. There's two kinds of strikes you can make, you know, a strike for cause. In other words, a juror doesn't uh, understand English. That's a, a prerequisite really to understand the, the testimony as it's, uh, as it's coming in or has uh, several criminal convictions or couldn't be fair to one side or another. Um, these are, are strikes for cause, and they're basically unlimited. Um, then there's preemptory challenges, which each side has a certain number and can use for any legitimate reason. And by legitimate, I mean they can't strike somebody because they're white, you can't strike somebody because they're Hispanic. Uh, you know, there are certain things you cannot strike somebody for. Other than that, you can literally say, I don't like the way they look to me. That's fine. You have a certain number of preemptory challenges. So the defense could have stricken, made an argument to strike her for cause, uh, but that's probably not going to, you know, being a Democrat and running for Congress is not for cause, but they could have used their preemptory challenges. They chose not to. Generally, do defense lawyers and maybe even prosecutors do an examination of the social media history of potential jurors? It depends on the case. Uh, as a as a prosecutor, you don't really run it uh, too often. I mean, you have the FBI disposal, but you're not doing an FBI background check on people. But in today's day and age, you're a Google search away from finding out things about a juror that the questionnaire or the judge's questions may not cover. And now that I've left DOJ in, uh, in the consulting world, on large cases, we do work with lawyers to really, uh, you know, look at certain jurors and their social uh, media profile because that can be revealing. So it's certainly an option available uh, to both sides right now. Let's turn now to the situation at the DOJ. Were you part of the group of prosecutors who signed this letter asking for Barr's resignation? You know, I was not. I actually sent in a, what I thought could be a couple edits, and I never heard back. <laughs> so I just uh, I let that one lie. I figured, uh, you know, my name on there is not going to persuade anyone. It seems to be growing, though. The number, one day I heard 1,000, then the next day I heard 2,000. 2,000. I got four emails today asking me to sign, as I'm sure a lot of former prosecutors did. I've been talking to former federal prosecutor Jeffrey Kramer, managing director of the Berkeley Research Group, about the continuing turmoil at the Justice Department and the upcoming sentencing of longtime Trump friend Roger Stone. So, Jeff, as we were talking about, more than 2,000 prosecutors signed this open letter asking A.G. Barr to resign. What effect does that have? Letters, you know, during the Trump era, we've had a lot of er letters from prosecutors and former uh, prosecutors asking for different things. Does it make any impact? Uh, the short answer is no, uh, but um, you know it's not. He's not. Uh, Ag Barr is not leaving because there's a clamor by ex AUSAs uh, for him to leave. Um, but it's uh, it's it's a shot across the bow. It's telling, uh, and I think it's telling not just to Ag Barr because I think he's a lost cause at this point, but to the line assistants at Maine Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office by their former colleagues. That matters because someday they're all going to be, you know, former, not all, but 90% of them are going to be former DOJ people. Um, and it's saying that there's people out there that sat where you sat, um, that did the job that you're doing, um, and, you know, expressing support for the four prosecutors who left that case and basically saying, as the letter appropriately did, look, if you're confronted with this kind of issue, you need to stand up and say something. It's it's really unprecedented, and we use that word a lot right now, um, but never before has the attorney general decided to pick and choose a case to put his finger on. I mean, there are 
thousands and thousands of cases going on right now where DOJ is making a recommendation. I don't think the AG is really getting involved in too many drug cases in Chicago or Miami or L.A. right now. However, Roger Stone, he made a point to get involved in. That's absurd. The Michael Flynn sentencing is another example. And a few weeks ago, the Justice Department changed its position on the Michael Flynn sentencing, went from opposing probation to not opposing probation. So now, in addition to that, there's this investigation by an outside counsel. Tell us about that and how unusual that is. It's unusual. I think there's several investigations of prosecutors uh, by either sitting uh, prosecutors in different districts, how the cases were handled. That's never been done before. You know, there's an inspector general who can look at certain things, but never before has there been, and picture the room, uh, one prosecutor basically interrogating another prosecutor, both being both working for DOJ, uh, with, you know, the goal being apparently with uh, A.G. Barr's Geppetto here, uh, trying to dig up something to show that the initial cases, be it Flynn or Stone or whatever it might be, um, had some uh, had some problems with it. Well, if that's the case, you've got an inspector general. Are there going to be criminal charges brought by current uh, by current U.S. attorneys against other assistant U.S. attorneys? I don't know. So this is really – no one's done that before. It's highly – highly unusual isn't even the word for it. Uh, but again, these are self-selecting things that the AG is doing. He's not doing this in drug, gun, or public corruption cases anywhere in the country unless the defendant is connected to Trump. That is the only common thread through these cases. So it doesn't matter who you voted for in 2016. This is just inappropriate. It just is. And – the AG was on TV last week making protestations about his independence, and it was said that his that his remarks were to calm any kind of mutiny within the Department of Justice. But if he continues with these kinds of interrogations and investigations, does that cancel out whatever else he's doing? Yeah, I think he failed in his attempt to kind of quell and the rank and file. Having said that, you know, the 90, 94 U.S. attorney's offices are going on. There's work being done today. They don't have much respect for the AG. They think he's a hack, but they're doing their job as they should. But his comments, basically imploring the president to stop tweeting because he's making his job harder, I think that was revealed for what it is, which is, look, I'll do the work for you. Just don't bring attention to what I'm doing. So he's still moving forward. And you have to just step back. I mean, AG Barr had, had a very good reputation before he came back to DOJ. He's very successful successful in the private practice, query why he felt compelled to come back to DOJ to blow up the institution that he uh, proclaims loyalty to. It's just shocking that he wanted this to be his second act. If the public perception of DOJ's independence is diminished, how difficult is it to reinstate that independence yeah, it's hard, and any prosecutor will tell you. It doesn't matter whether it's federal or state. Your, uh, not only just your reputation, but when you appear before the court, who you represent um, is, is huge, whether it's before a judge or a jury. And while the line assistants aren't you know, taking heat for this necessarily, the DOJ certainly is look suspect. But more importantly, the public needs to have confidence that any law enforcement, 
again, does not matter. Federal, state, uh, county, doesn't matter. Is calling balls and strikes fairly. These are the people that have guns. These are the people that can put you behind bars. These are the people that can have search warrants of your house, your bank accounts, or anything else. With that kind of almost unfettered power, we have to have confidence that those people are using their judgment and their resources fairly. If that confidence wanes, it really is a bedrock principle of this country. And A.G. Barr is just not doing the criminal justice system or this country any favors. Here's another probably unprecedented event. The Federal Judges Association citing growing concerns about the Department of Justice, Bill Barr, President Trump, and the intervention of politically sensitive cases called for an emergency meeting on the Roger Stone case. They thought that they had to meet before their next meeting, which is in April. They couldn't wait until April. What can the judges do? Well, interesting, the judiciary, you know, are not armed, unlike the executive branch. They can't, you know, they can't go out and do search warrants or handcuff anybody. They really just have the respect of the public, and that's why nine justices in the Supreme Court, when they make edicts, we all follow it. So the judiciary can issue letters or say things, and maybe as a result of this, that branch of the government will issue a letter, a report, you know, something, which is all they can do, um, basically exclaiming their discomfort or whatever euphemisms they want to use, but basically standing up. Uh, we saw the second branch of government, the legislative branch, fold like a cheap suit with respect to the impeachment proceedings. So we've got one more branch of government to count on maybe just to counter uh, the executive branch, which is getting a little too powerful. We'll see what they do. But at most they can do is some sort of well-written letter. Suppose the judge gives Roger Stone a new trial. Is it a possibility that the Justice Department under William Barr says, you know, we're not going to prosecute him on that anymore? <laughs> Is it a possibility? Absolutely. And that's the moment you will see people leaving DOJ. And I don't want to say in droves. I don't want to over-exaggerate it. But people will leave because that's just a little too blatant, even for someone as smart as A.G. Barr. Thanks, Jeff. That's Jeffrey Kramer, Managing Director of the Berkeley Research Group.